Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We do not have a primary passage that we're turning to this morning and exegeting that text. We are using various passages and a primary idea as we work through the subject matter of glad you asked. Uh, I I find the topic or this series interesting or intriguing. We have a lot of material that we're trying to cover in a very short period of time. The material always exceeds the time allotted to us on any given Sunday, but the topics are indeed important. The third topic that we are considering, the first was divine determinism or God's sovereignty and human freedom or free will. Then we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the primary idea of whether or not God is it necessary to do self-examination at the Lord's table and whether or not God judges you for any unconfessed sin. And now we're looking at the idea of lordship versus non-lordship. And I'll try to explain to you, if you are not familiar with the idea, what that means. Is Jesus Savior and or Lord? Are those two ideas tied together? The question that is asked when we consider the topic is this. Can Jesus be your Savior without becoming your Lord? Another way of asking the question is, is repentance a part of saving faith? Is repentance a part of saving faith? And then finally, must you first say, I can't, before you say, only God can and Jesus did? Those three questions express this larger theological idea that sits inside the study of lordship versus non-lordship. And I will explain how non-lordship has rebranded itself smartly to free grace. However, free grace falls within the category of what is called non-lordship salvation. So although our focus is on biblical theology, which we do every Sunday, we do have a system of theology. Our sales are set a particular way as an individual, as well as a church, and we will communicate those thoughts to you. In 1998, Jim Hightower wrote a book entitled, There is Nothing in the Middle of the Road But Yellow Stripes and Dead Armadillos. In any of the topics in tension, and and that's what we've been covering in Glad You Asked, we like to think that we somehow can strike a balance between two positions. I would suggest to you, however, there is nothing in the middle of the road but yellow stripes and dead armadillos. We are not neutral. When we study theological topics, when we come to the scripture, we are not neutral. We have bias. We have presuppositions. We have present levels of knowledge. I have been informed. I have been, in, I have been shaped. It doesn't mean I know everything perfectly, but I do have backstory. I do have baggage. And I bring that baggage to any study of the scripture. I'm always wanting the scriptures to speak for themselves. But I still bring bias. And my sales, regardless of the topic we have considered over the last two Sundays and even today, My sails are set in a particular direction. Do you understand that? So I have bias. And as balanced as I hope to be, I will fail. I don't doubt that. But that's why I want to believe that I am a student of Scripture, and I try to stay informed and understand and clarify 
what I believe personally and then what I preach from the pulpit. Our view this morning will be from 30,000 feet. It is impossible for us to cover all the details that this topic or any of these topics require. So I will be flying over the subject matter and I will be offering you thought. You can always pick up the manuscript in our foyer and perhaps do some initial study on your own. But as far as myself and this pulpit right now, we're looking at the subject matter from 30,000 feet. When you talk about salvation, and I have stressed this, there's nothing I'm going to say this morning that I haven't said over the last 19 years. When you talk about salvation, we use salvation in a very broad, generic way. But when we talk about salvation, we are talking about our justification, our sanctification, which is the middle piece, and then our glorification, which we would refer to as heaven. So we talk about our justification when we got saved. We talk about the middle, the Christian life, which is our sanctification. And then we talk about our glorification, which is the end piece. When we talk about salvation, we talk about it in three ways. Past, I've been saved then the scripture speaks of being saved in the present and the idea of I will be saved. All of those tenses, all of these ideas of justification, sanctification, and glorification are all pieces of one whole. So as a saved individual, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. I can show you all of that from scripture. Unfortunately, we don't have that kind of luxury or time this morning. When you talk about salvation, it is a monolithic pour. That means when God set this thing, he gave it to us all up front. When you and I talk about redemption, forgiveness, propitiation, justification, imputation, reconciliation, or being in Christ or adopted, all those ideas are inside of our salvation. And that all happened at the front end. So right now, each one of us who confess faith in the person and work of Jesus all enjoy all of these actions. This is what we have in him. And we should not and we cannot pull all those pieces apart. We need to see them as one continuous pour. And God has poured our foundation and he is the one who has framed the walls of our sanctification. Whether we disagree or agree, Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when we talk about our justification, it is connected to our sanctification and to our glorification. What we do in theology is we pull apart the pieces for examination. But what we must always do is put them all back together. And that's what we have been attempting to do over the last 19 years. When we talk about sanctification, that's really the issue right now. When we talk about sanctification or the Christian life, we believe that the Christian life is simply the Christ life. And when you talk about sanctification, on one side you have the head of the coin, if I can use this analogy. You have the head of the coin, which is your justification. You have tails, which is glorification. Then you have the rim on the coin, the edge on the coin, and that edge is our sanctification or the Christian life but it all forms one singular whole. That's going to shape what we do. What's our problem when we study the topic, which is true of most topics? We are like, and I come from a large family, you know that, and if you have siblings, you understand the imagery that I am offering. There's a single toy, and there's two people that want that toy at the same time. 
Each of them are pulling on that toy. Each of them want possession of that toy. And at some point, someone is going to be disappointed. At some point, that toy might lie on the floor in pieces because both sides are arguing hard for possession of the piece. And often when we look at the subject matter, we are like two siblings fighting over the same toy. And we need to pull back and simply look at it from a higher perspective. When you talk about sanctification and the topic under consideration, there will be the tendency and potential of oversimplifying the matter. And I I get that. I'm going to make statements that you would say, whoa, 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 I don't agree with that statement. That's an oversimplification. Up front, I'm saying, I understand, I know. If we had time to sit down and piece it all apart, we might come to a different understanding. However, in this study, I will be making general observations that represent the position. One of the tensions we want to avoid, which we've noted already, is that we start spelunking, and we can't do that on a Sunday morning. We've got to stay out of, as it were, the dark places and those thin cracks that neither one of us can fit through. And we need to look at the larger understanding of all this. So right now, when you look at the Christian life, when you look at the subject matter, you have this idea of lordship versus non-lordship. Do you have to make Jesus both Savior and Lord when you get saved, or can those two ideas be split apart? Is it necessary to repent, or do I simply have to have faith? From our vantage point, do you have to say, I can't, before you say, God can, and Jesus did? See, all of that is tied together. You're familiar with, I can, but God can, and Jesus did. Well, that's representing a theological position. That's not a neutral statement. So as it relates to this idea, we understand that there's a theology behind it. But let's begin with lordship. Uh, This began when I was in seminary a very long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. This has always been present, but there was a book war where each side was writing positions on the topic and companies were making money. But it became defined as lordship versus non-lordship. And I will give you this oversimplification of the subject matter. However, it will help in our understanding. When you think of justification and sanctification inside of lordship, you'll notice that there is this idea of observation as it leans towards sanctification. And hopefully, as I explain this, it'll become more readily understandable. But in lordship, they argue that repentance is necessary to salvation. The opposite is also true when it comes to non-lordship. They believe that repentance is not necessary when it comes to justification or salvation. So repentance will play a key area in understanding both ideas. But in lordship salvation, they do argue that when you make Jesus Savior, when you acknowledge him as Savior, you don't make him that, he is already that, but when you say Jesus is Savior, you are equally saying Jesus is Lord. His lordship cannot be separated from the idea that he is Savior. One of the positives to this whole idea of lordship is that Jesus is already Lord. You don't make him something he already is. You can acknowledge that, but you can't make him that. And that's unfortunately a poor way of saying it. It is interesting in the book of Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus as king with a kingdom. Twice in the book of Acts, Jesus Christ is referred to as savior, but over a hundred times, 
the word kurios or Lord occurs, and the majority of those are assigned to Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, you, we read the title Lord Jesus. So a strength of the Lordship position is that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. Practically speaking, as we break that down, what does that mean? Well, it means that justification and sanctification are tied together, that repentance and faith are tied together. I will be putting clarifiers on that idea in just a moment. Lordship teaches, which I think is absolutely true, that believers are changed, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Those who are in Christ have been changed. The tension that I would have with lordship is that they believe the change is always visible and measurable. And that's one of the problems I find with lordship. But with lordship, I clearly keep together justification and sanctification. The problem inside of this position of lordship is that there's a tendency to micromanage the middle. So they are wanting to assess or evaluate the Christian life what's taking place right now. This is the charge against them, and it's a legitimate charge in some circumstances. There is this confusion as to what perseverance constitutes. Are you persevering in faith, or is it works? Works will always be, and we understand this to be true, works are always a consequence of faith, not its cause. I don't work for faith. I work from faith. The Christian life inside of lordship is this idea of being measured or tracked. Have you behaved in such a way as to prove your justification? And I disagree with that idea strongly. And one of the problems with lordship salvation is that it tends toward works righteousness or towards legalism or moralism, which is a real threat in this particular position. Now, what does that all mean for us right now? I agree with justification and sanctification being tied together. You've heard me say, and I'll come back to it, that the Jesus seed, justification, always and inevitably produces gospel fruit. Those two ideas are tied inseparably together. That sequence always holds. You cannot reverse them. Faith manifests itself in works. Again, we'll come back to this in just a moment. One of the tensions is when we start assessing or measuring or tracking or questioning the work. I am of the position, and this is what we teach, is that the Jesus seed is producing in you gospel fruit. So right now, you are fruit-bearing Christians. Do I try to track that? Do I try to measure that? No, I don't. I don't. What am I believing? That the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God and doing a sure work in the people of God. I'm convinced of that. All that I say from the pulpit as it relates to the topic is linking my justification and my sanctification together. These two are inseparably linked. And you cannot change or reverse the sequence. But I and we as a fellowship do not seek to measure or track or quantify sanctification. I simply believe it's taking place. Why? Because good soil produces good fruit. That's where we stand on that idea. 
Again, if my sails are set, which indeed they are, I'm heading in that direction. I have words towards those who would think otherwise, but that's the direction I'm heading. What is it then about non-lordship or what has been positioned as free grace? It, in my day, it was lordship versus non-lordship. Along the way, the, the non-lordship position rebranded into free grace, which on their part, that was brilliant. That was a brilliant branding move. It sounds so much better to say free grace versus non-lordship. But what exactly is all that? And if you pick up the manuscript, I've taken people who sit in their sides and I quote them describing their position. But in non-lordship or free grace, you have justification, which is the free grace part. Then you have sanctification, and the sanctification is where you earn future reward or placement within the kingdom. Heaven is secured in your justification. Placement or position in the kingdom are based on sanctification as to what you do right now. What you do right now is what's earning the reward. And I could talk about the Bema Seed, I could talk about reward, but I'm not going to drill down on that right now. But inside of the non-lordship or the free grace position, salvation is acknowledging Jesus as your Savior. You are not acknowledging him as Lord until your sanctification, and that becomes a second work of grace, which you might never do. You might be justified, but in their minds, never sanctified. That sanctification never shows itself, and you are never making Jesus Lord. Is it possible? And that might be a hypothetical issue, but that's how they view it. So you have justification, which is the free grace part. Then you have sanctification, which is a wage given to a work. I do this, and I get future reward, and I get placement within the kingdom. In non-lordship salvation, the Christian life is secondary except for the horizontal blessing that I'm earning through my obedience and the future reward that waits out there for me when I pass. The free grace part is in the justification, not in the sanctification. Your justification is by faith. Your sanctification is what you get through the lordship and repentance side. Salvation is acknowledging that Jesus is Savior. Sanctification is acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. And inside the position, salvation gets you into heaven. Sanctification is what gives you placement in the kingdom. It's what gives you reward. Now, I am opposed to that idea. I think that every Christian, because of the Jesus seed, is producing gospel fruit. I think if you have the idea of reward, and I'm not going to piece this all out, but if you have the idea of reward, when you get to heaven, you are going to receive a reward. There's an assessment that takes place. You are judged based on works. Whose work are you going to be judged for, yours or his? I'm of the place that I will be judged based on his works. If I'm judged based on my works, I'm in Adam. I'm condemned. I get nothing. If I am judged based on his works, I'm in Christ. I get everything. I get the kingdom. That's what I believe. I believe at the Bema Seed Judgment, every single Christian will have fruit, will have reward. And if the picture plays out, when I am judged and I do receive a crown, what will I do with the crown? I will cast it at his feet. That casting is an acknowledgement that it's not about me, but it's about him. That's how we view this. 
So at the Bema Seat Judgment, there is nothing but gospel celebration at what God has chosen to do in you and through you to those around you. But when we talk about this idea, I see justification and sanctification, salvation, being saved, and the Christian life as linked together. The one produces or causes the other. So when you talk about salvation inside of non-lordship or free grace, salvation is what gets you into heaven, but sanctification is what gives you placement in the kingdom. They make a distinction between those two ideas. Now, I am somewhat facetiously saying, I will now swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, as if somehow I have a corner on this truth, on this idea, which indeed I don't. However, I do have my opinion. First, I want us to understand when you think of the topic and and you and I as a whole do not drill down into the pieces. But if you think of the relationship between biblical theology, which we do on a regular basis from this pulpit and systematic, which we're doing right now, we're doing systematic theology. When you think of the relationship between these two categories of theological discussion or study, you have biblical theology, you have systematic theology. At best, you are seeing them as a married couple. And those of you who are married understand what I'm about to say. When you see them as married, they're a unit, they're whole. If you are married and you see yourself as single, you are heading for trouble. You're about to do something incredibly stupid. There is never a point in time as being married 42 years that I see myself as single. When I see myself as single, I am about to do something really stupid. When you're married, you know what you are? You're one. You're married. And when you do theology, you cannot separate biblical theology from systematic theology without problems. The two are married together. And I trust we will work to do that. So when we look at this topic, we want to look at them as a married couple. They should not be fighting against each other. The second thing when you look at the topic of whether justification and sanctification are to be seen together or whether they are pulled apart, whether you have to repent before you believe or if you just have to believe, I would go back to our coin analogy. If one side of that coin is faith and the other side is repentance, you cannot separate those two ideas. It's impossible. I believe that faith and repentance are simply different sides of the one act. Neither one's separated. If you separate one from the other, it's not going to work. Why? Because the two are together. They are married together. And think with me. We often cite the idea of James chapter 2, verse 19. It says that the demons believe and tremble. We don't say, well, the word believe, which is the word faith. It's the same word used throughout John's gospel. That word believe doesn't mean the demons are saved. Well, why? Because it's not saving faith. It wasn't coupled with repentance. They weren't changing their mind concerning themselves. They were recognizing who Jesus is as Messiah, as God. When one of the arguments that the non-lordship or free grace makes is that in John's gospel, the word repentance does not occur. It's only the word faith. It's found throughout John's gospel. And we often say that the gospel of John is the gospel of believing of faith. 
Well, are we then to say that John doesn't believe in repentance simply because he doesn't use the word? And I would say, well, that would be wrong to make that conclusion. Why? Because saving faith has both aspects present. I can't is the faith repentance and God can, Jesus did. Saving faith says that and both parts are present. So to tear it apart and say, well, with believing faith, there is unnecessary repentance. It's impossible because you are repenting from something. And what are you repenting from? You are repenting from you. You're turning away from you. You're saying, I can't. I repent of this. But I believe Jesus can. And I rest in that. God can and Jesus did. Thus, drawing a sharp line between these two ideas is counter-gospel. Saving faith says, I can't, but God can and Jesus did. You are turning from faith in yourself, and you are turning to faith in Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus are being changed. They have changed. We argue for in this church is that the Jesus seed always and inevitably produces gospel fruit. When we make the statement, we are saying justification is a cause, sanctification is a consequence, and these two are linked together. What we don't do is now micromanage and quantify the middle, which is your gospel fruit. When I look at you, I see gospel fruit. If there appears to be a point-in-time problem, we address it, but otherwise... We are convinced that what Jesus began, he is continuing and will bring to an end in our glorification. Thus, we always say that the Jesus seed inevitably produces gospel fruit. That is tying together your justification and your sanctification. God saving you and the Christian life. I believe that is seeable in Matthew 13 and the parable of the two soil types. I believe it is only the last or fourth soil that is believing soil and producing gospel fruit. When Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20 says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit, I believe that if you are saved, you have good soil, you are a good tree. So you will produce good fruit. If you are a bad tree and bad soil, you are not producing good fruit. You are producing bad fruit. That's Matthew 7, Matthew 13. And one of the problems we have in these topic studies is that we cherry pick or proof text. I am convinced that the entire message of the Bible is that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. And I believe when we talk of saving faith, you have woven into it repentance. You are repenting from you and turning toward him. We don't separate those two acts. We put them together. And it's only when they are together that you have saving faith. I believe this is the, in the message of the Bible. If we were to take time and look at Titus, and here's what's interesting for me. We've looked at Matthew's gospel. We have looked at the letter to Titus. We have looked at all these different things, even the gospel or the book of James. When you think of all these things, they are all saying the same thing. When you think of Titus chapter 1, verse 1, and we've done an entire study on Titus, Paul writes, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. 
Paul is simply saying, if this happens, then that will happen. If you have embraced the truth, as a consequence, you have godliness. The two are tied together. Godliness isn't something I pursue. Gospel Jesus is something I pursue. And in my pursuit of him, I have godliness. The two are linked together. We have all heard the statement, elections have consequences. Well, election has consequences. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death, you are saved and you are sanctified. The two are tied together. Think with me a little longer on this idea. When you and I were in Adam, that's before you got saved. Before you got saved, you were in Adam. In Adam, you acted and you behaved and you believed just like Adam. What comes out of Adam is always and inevitably like Adam. But now you are in Christ. If you don't know that, congratulations. You are in Christ. In Christ, you act and behave and believe like Christ, like Jesus. What comes out is always and inevitably like Jesus. We have received the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And the Holy Spirit given to me, now you've heard this before, is working in me and through me to those around me. That statement ties justification and sanctification together because the Jesus seed is always and inevitably producing gospel fruit. So I act, I behave, I believe like Jesus. I'm doing that in a horizontal corrupted vessel, but that is what is taking place. I am in Christ. This is the consistent message of the entire New Testament. The entire New Testament says that in James chapter 2, verse 18, show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Those two ideas are tied together. Why? Because the Jesus seed produces gospel fruit. 1 John four twenty would say, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Why? Because the two ideas are tied together. When you talk about Titus, and we go back to the book, and if we took time again, we've already studied all this, but what was happening in Crete and why the Apostle Paul wrote the pastoral letters is because you cannot reverse the order. You can't put works before faith. Works do not produce faith. There are world religions that put works before faith. Faith always precedes work. But neither can you separate the two ideas. There is an inseparable link between the two, and they are sequential. If you have the Jesus seed, it is producing gospel fruit. You can't break the relationship. So when we look at the idea of lordship and non-lordship, my sail is definitely set towards keeping justification and sanctification together, inseparable, sequential. However, we don't believe, nor have we taught, that we are now to micromanage that sanctification or Christian life. We believe it is taking place. We don't separate those two. We're not saying, well, you have to have faith, now you need to repent. Faith and repentance are these ongoing things, fruits of the Spirit that take place in all of God's people. We are always doing that. We believed and we believe. So when we look at the answer to the question, what do we do with this? Well, I don't believe that these two ideas are balanced. 
Justification causes, produces sanctification. It's inevitable. It is always. There's no balance between these two ideas. In the vertical, there is no try harder, do better. This has been set in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is fixed. And there's no micromanaging the middle. We don't micromanage the Christian life. We are expecting it to take place. And that's what we see. The answer is simply seeing that once someone believes in Jesus, a domino's effect has begun. Cause and effect. What we began, we continue in. We trust God. We live by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We rest in his finished work by believing in his one story. And we always have some kind of exception that takes place. Well, what about the person who XYZs? What would I say to that person? My first word is, stop. My second word is, Jesus. First word, stop. Second word, Jesus. Well, are they or are they not saved? Stopping Jesus really answers the question. Do you believe the gospel? Yes or no? Does it matter what we do with the topic? And my answer is an emphatic yes. It does matter what we do and how we think on these things. In lordship, when it's abused and when the excess takes place, we must understand that Jesus both saves and sanctifies. We need to be reminded of this. We do not look to our work for verification. How many times have we seen someone and we thought, you know what, they can't possibly be saved by the way they look or by the way they behave. I grew up as a Christian in the context where tattoos were forbidden. I grew up in a context that it mattered what kind of frames you had on your glasses. I grew up in a context where you couldn't have sideburns below the middle of your ear. I grew up in a context as a Christian where you could not have hair on your collar. I grew up in a context where women could not wear pants no matter how cold it was outside. I grew up in a context where you could not consume alcohol or use tobacco or go to bars to buy bread. I grew up in that context. And why? Because if you saw someone who was doing otherwise, you began to judge whether they were or were not a Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you came out of that background, you understand what I'm saying. That's wrong. What I want to know is, do you believe in Jesus? Because if they believe in Jesus, there is gospel fruit. And you know what that fruit looks like? I sit in the midst of a bunch of fruity Christians. What we need to do is believe that Jesus got this. He's got this. We need to trust Jesus only and alone. As it relates to the non-lordship, Jesus is the reward. And everyone would say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they add one small word, which is but. Jesus is the reward. We need to be reminded of this. The Christian life is the Christ life. He's got this. Jesus Christ only and alone. In both cases, it is not about us. It's about him. The Christian life isn't about what you do for him, but always what he did and does for you. 
And we need to learn to rest in his finished work and live celebrating his work in our behalf. By remembering him, we see gospel fruit. We continue in faith, believing that Jesus Christ indeed is enough in this life and the life which is to come. So when we talk, let us talk about Jesus. If you have an issue or a problem that you are struggling with, find someone to talk to and work with through. But remember to believe the gospel, to focus on him. Because Jesus Christ is enough in this life and in the life which is to come. May that be our heartbeat and may that be the content of our conversation. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have had to gather as your people in this place. We recognize it is a privilege. Father, when we look at a topic like this, we be- believe that the one who has begun the work will equally finish it. That he is not just our justification, but he is our sanctification. And that those two ideas are inseparable and sequential. Guide us in our thinking. Strengthen us as we persevere in believing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.